0: This morning, we are beginning our summer sermon series on the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Several weeks ago, probably six or seven weeks ago, I started rereading Eugene Peterson's Run with the Horses, and basically, it's his commentary on the book of Jeremiah, and I felt like the season we were in with COVID and coronavirus, that it was a season of lament, and a lot of the book of Jeremiah, and including the book of Lamentations, which, which he wrote, uh, are, are are laments of what's happening in the world and what's happening in society uh, during his time. So to remind you a little bit of, of his story, uh, Jeremiah prophesied during the time of the fall of Judah. Now remember, historically, there was one nation of Israel under Solomon And after his death, that nation was divided into two nations. You had the northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel, and you had the southern kingdom, which took the name Judah. Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. And throughout the ages, prophets would come to both the nation of Israel and Judah and call them back to repentance, call them back to faithfulness in God. But the nations did not listen. So much so that in 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and wiped out the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, which left the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was to that nation that Jeremiah was called to prophesy. It was a troubling time. Politics were corrupt. People were corrupt. There was no religious practice of the people. And God raised up the prophetic voice of Jeremiah to come and to proclaim a message of repentance. But we know what happens in the end, and that is that the southern kingdom of Judah fell in the year 587. But leading up to that time, Jeremiah was prophesying and trying to bring words of hope and encouragement to the nation. And so several weeks ago when I was rereading this, I thought, these, these are good words for us to consider. And I had no idea what would happen over the past week and a half or so, the death of George Floyd, the meaningless death that has occurred, the protests that have happened, people standing up and saying, we demand righteousness, we demand justice, we seek solutions for these problems. And then the unfortunate events, the the looting, the violence, uh, the political posturing of people, And as I wrote in my letter earlier this week from Lamentations chapter one, verse 22, my groans are many and my heart is faint because each new day we awaken to some troubling situation. And I have to admit, this is hard in the days and the time of doing online worship because what happened last week, I preached my sermon on Wednesday morning and then flew the next day to Spokane to move our daughter back. And Mike and I flew up there and and we drove back with all the events of George Floyd unfolding around us. And so I was unable to really speak to that on Sunday morning because we had pre-recorded everything and it broke my heart. And so I keep going back to this verse in Psalm 133 where David says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then he uses this image of the anointing oil on Aaron. If you recall, Aaron was the first priest of Israel and he's anointed. He's set apart and that oil flows on his head and down over his beard and onto the, his cloak that he is wearing and his collar. And what David is saying in that Psalm is we only know unity and we only know peace when we see each other as sacred and as set apart. When we see each other as anointed by God, it's not just Aaron who is anointed. What David is driving at and the message he's trying to get at is saying peace, unity only happen when we see each other as set apart. When we understand that regardless of the color of our skin, Each one of us is made in the image of God. And so God calls Jeremiah then to come and offer a prophetic voice in the midst of a troubled land. Things were bad in Judah. Manasseh, who was the king probably when Jeremiah was born, was the worst of the worst. We talk about the best of the best. He was the worst king Judah had ever ever seen. So bad that we read this in second Kings chapter 21, verse nine, the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray. So that they did more evil than the nations. The Lord had destroyed before the Israelites, they did more evil than anyone had done before them. And Manasseh reigned for 50 years. He tore down things of religious significance. He brought in false gods, false idols. He led the entire nation of Israel away from the things that really mattered. And eventually he dies. His son Amon is announced and pronounces the next king. He is murdered. And then an eight-year-old child by the name of Josiah comes to reign. And one of the first things this child does, which is absolutely amazing, is he has the temple restored. He has people go back in the temple that that had been built for the worship of God and has them go in and see what they can discover. And they bring out this old book, this old scroll that no one had looked at for years. And they started to read it and it started and it was talking about who God is and the plans that God had for Israel And they needed someone to interpret it. And so they went and got the prophetess Huldah, which is a great story. Another one of the great women of the Old Testament. And Huldah comes and tells them exactly what this book is saying and the reforms that it is calling for. And it's actually the book of Deuteronomy. It's the book of the law. And Josiah takes those words of Deuteronomy. He takes the prophetic voice of Huldah and he brings reform to the nation of Judah calling people back to faith, calling people back to the temple. And the fascinating thing is that all of this is happening while Jeremiah is growing up as well. He's learning from the book of Deuteronomy. So that when God calls him to proclaim God's message of hope, God's message of forgiveness, God's message of repentance, Jeremiah knows the words. He knows the words from Deuteronomy. And so that then is the context of what we are going to read this day. We're in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And here's what we read. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, the king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah is now born into this situation, probably born around 640 BC. And he starts to proclaim this message to the kingdom of Judah that they're going to fall. And they have a hard time believing this because they are God's nation. They are God's appointed nation. They were appointed by God to take his message to the nations. And yet because of their sinfulness and their brokenness, God says, I'm going to take all of that away. That covenant that you loved, that covenant that you cared for is going to be dismissed. The worship that you had at the temple, the temple is going to be destroyed, which for a faithful Jew was the worst possible thing they could imagine because it was at that temple that the covenant was celebrated. The feasts, the festivals, the forgiveness. And Jeremiah comes along and says, you know what's going to happen though? There's going to be a new covenant. And what Jeremiah does is he points the way to Jesus. We'll see this later on in the sermon series. But Jeremiah is known throughout the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are about 40 references back to the book of Jeremiah. So much so that even in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Some of his disciples say, some of them say that you are Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah started talking about things such as this new Covenant, this covenant that will be written on our hearts and not written on tablets. So there's a lot in a name. Many of us name our kids after other people. Our son's middle name is based on one of the mentors I had, the man who encouraged me uh, to go to seminary. Our daughter's middle name is a family name from Shannon's side of the family. We name our kids carefully at times, uh, choosing certain names for them. When I baptize a child, I ask the parents for the full given name of the child so that we can articulate that so the congregation can hear that because naming matters. The name Jeremiah can mean one of two things. The Lord exalts, as in the Lord lifts up, or the Lord hurls, as in the Lord throws something forcefully. And I think about that. And I think about sometimes in our lives, I feel like I live in, in both of those contexts at different times. There are those moments where I feel as though God is exalted and God is lifting up and God is encouraging and God is calling me forth to go and do the work that he has in store for me. But there are other times where I feel like I'm literally just being hurled through the world, hurled through life, chucked as hard as I can, trying to make sense of where I am. But whether it is the Lord hurls or the Lord exalts, what really matters is the name the Lord is involved. And for all of us, that's something that we are called to remember in these uncertain times, in these Times where people are looking for hope and looking for encouragement. The Lord is with us, He has called us by name, and that's what happens to Jeremiah. And there's three things, particularly, that happen there in verse five that I want to make sure that we see. And we're going to focus the rest of the sermon on this. God says, Before I formed you, I knew you, before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I knew you. I set you apart. And I sent you, I appointed you. And I think for us, those are three really important things to hold on to when we think about who God is and what God is about in our own lives. The first thing is this, is that God knows us. We do not have to try and get God's attention. Sometimes we feel as though we're invisible. Sometimes we walk up to a certain place and no one notices us. And perhaps that happens to you often in your life. It drives me nuts when I feel like I'm trying to get someone's attention and no one's paying attention. And what God says to Jeremiah is, I know you before I formed you, I knew you. And I want us to hear that because when we look around and we wonder whether anyone knows us, whether anyone recognizes us, whether anybody knows our name, we know that God knows us and God calls us by name and God knows us. And he places us into a story that he calls us to live into. He gives us our own story. You may recall several years ago, we started talking about this idea that there's God's story, there's your story, and there's our story. And what happens in the way in which God works is God has this incredibly large story that he is managing. And then he creates us and sticks us in a certain segment in a certain part of that story and says, now I want you to live in that narrative, to live in that story. And we do that because God says, I'm calling you by name and I know you, I'm placing you in this specific place now to live out my love and my grace. And so we are known by God. There's that great scene in the gospel of John after Mary goes back to the tomb and and Jesus has been raised from the dead and she begins this conversation with whom she thinks is the gardener. and, And finally, Jesus calls her by name and says, Mary. And she realizes that it is her savior. He knows her and he knows her name. The second thing that Jeremiah says, that God says to Jeremiah rather, is that he has been set apart. The more formal word for that is the word consecrated, set apart for a specific purpose. And what's interesting about that word consecrated is that the noun form of the verb consecrate it's actually the word saint. So I want you to think about that because oftentimes when we think about saints, we think about those who have done great and amazing things and we call them, man, what a saint. But that's not the accurate description of a saint. We are all saints because what a saint is describing is it's not so much what we've done, but who we belong to. Because God calls to us, just as God called to Jeremiah, God calls to us. He sets us apart. And in doing that, He's saying, You are a saint. So whether you believe it or not, you're a saint because you've been called and set apart by God. It's not what you do that makes you a saint, it's who has a claim on you. And what God is saying to Jeremiah is, I am claiming you as my own, I am consecrating you. I am setting you apart to go and to live and to love and to serve and to preach this message to the nation of Judah. So you are known, you are set apart, and then you are appointed. You are sent. You are called to go and live out your story in the grander narrative of the story that God is writing. And I think for us at this time, it's important to think about what is it that God is calling us to? If we are known and if we are set apart, I think the third part of that thing, the third part that happens for Jeremiah is also something that happens for us. We're going to be appointed to do some good work for God. If you think about the role of the elders in the Old Testament, they sat at the city gates. They brought wisdom. They brought counsel to people. When people had problems, when people had concerns, they would go out to the city gates. They would meet with the elders and the elders would dispense their wisdom and insight and say, these are the things that you must do. This is how you resolve these situations. The elders added value. So I've always loved us being a part of the Presbyterian church because the Presbyterian, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. And for us as followers of Jesus, I want us to be challenged to think through, how are we adding value? In what practical way can you add value to your family, to your friends, to your community, and to your world? Because there are numerous ways, I believe, that we can do this. We are living in troubled times. But if you think back to the days of Jesus, he lived in troubled times. There was struggle with race. There was struggle with classism. There were struggles around elitism. But he continued to preach a message of hope and grace. He continued to figure out ways to bind up the brokenhearted, to reach out to the outcast to find those who had no one, who no one expected him to find and to bring them into his kingdom. And in much the same way, we are appointed to go and do similar things, to figure out how to love our neighbors. God has the final word. My groans are many. My heart grows faint. That's what we read at the end of Lamentations chapter 1. But as we keep reading, we get to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And this is what we read. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And my friends, that's what I'm holding on to. That God's faithfulness is great. That God meets us here at the table that God feeds us, God encourages us, God reminds us that he's calling us into his story, that he has set us apart, that we are saints because we belong to him, that he knows us, he knows our name, and he now sends us into the world to make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you will join with me as we continue to seek ways that we can truly live out the calling that God has placed on our lives. Will you pray with me, please? Oh, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the table that we now come to. Thank you that we are fed here. We are encouraged here. We are reminded of who you are. And so, God, would you feed us? Would you forgive us? And, Lord, would you set us free to go and serve you? We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.